Knock, knock. Who's there? This week in Marvel. (laughs) We're sharing our favorite Marvel parody books and talking to comedian and Marvel fan John Gabris. This dude can buy whatever he wants. That must be the coolest dude in the world. You're like, oh, man. If I looked up to this 19-year-old kid just because he had his own income. Let's do it. Hello, Marvelites. I'm Ryan Panacos, a.k.a. Ryan. Agent M. <laughs> Come on. What? You gotta give us the full fire hose of this week in Marvel hellos. Hello, Marvelites. That's what I'm talking about. I'm Ryan Panacos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm your gal every day, Lorraine Sink. <laughs> Ryan. What? What is this week in Marvel? That is a great question, Lorraine. You know what? I'm happy to answer it here on This Week in Marvel. We talk about all the new stuff that's happening at this here company that we all love. And Marvel has a lot of stuff happening all the time, such as new comic books or new movies, TV shows, video games, toys, updates, and more. And today we're going to look at some of the times Marvel has parodied itself, gone to the full ha-ha zone, the humor of it all. And we're going to talk to comedian John Gabris, who is a big Marvel fan. You will see some of that in his work, some of his many podcasts and stuff, and he's got some fun knowledge to drop. But first, things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news, colon. First things first, we got to let you guys know that we are doing a This Week in Marvel live panel at C2E2, Friday, February 28th. Make sure you are in room S401 from noon to 1 p.m. for Marvel Artist Extravaganza, a This Week in Marvel special event. Yeah, and you know that we love you guys and we like to bring you guys something maybe special if we feel like it. We're going to have Scotty Young there. We're going to have Ryan Stegman there. We're going to have Jenny Frizen there. Lorraine's going to be there. I'm going to be there. Yes, please come visit us at C2E2 in Chicago. If you're near Chicago, you may still be able to go get tickets, so go check all that stuff out on the C2E2 website. You can find more details Yeah, and at marvel.com, we have a list of all the panels, which include a Marvel Fanfare panel, CB Sobolski, an X-Men panel, uh, Next Big Thing panel, Women of Marvel panel. Oh, but there's going to be so much more because Disney Plus subscribers, get hyped, get ready. There's some new Marvel stuff hitting the service this week. That's right, Larry. We've got Marvel's Iron Man and Hulk Heroes United, Marvel Rising, Operation Sherry, Marvel Rising, Playing with Fire, and coming next week, season one of Marvel's future Avengers anime series, Friday, February 28th. This one is pretty cool because I've never seen all this. I've seen some clips and stuff. It's a a full, straight-up anime from Japan. The story goes that when Tony Stark branches his company into Japan, he is opposed by the nefarious Zodiac organization. And it's up to Iron Man to defeat the Zodiac, defend Japan. There's Hydra hijinks in there. Uh, It's really neat. Next up, we have Marvel's Voices number one. It is a comic released this week featuring diverse storytellers from across the Marvel comic book industry. And, of course, this name comes from our very own Angelique Rocher's show, Marvel's Voices. And it's just really super duper cool. Yeah, and our friend and co-host, when he's not super duper busy, James Monroe Iglehart, has a terrific story in the issue with Ray Anthony Height. There's so much cool stuff in this issue. And also, our friend Angelique Rocher's podcast, Marvel's Voices, has a new trailer. It's out there. You can listen to it. You can hear what it's about. New and improved 2020, where we all see clearly that's the year, and also a play on vision. 
Also this week, we've had the grand unveiling of the Union. The series <laughs> is written by Paul Grist, who's amazing, you guys. He's not done a ton of Marvel work, but he's really cool. Art by Andrea DeVito, covers by Arby Silva. And so this is a team of superheroes that have been gathered from all across the United Kingdom, featuring Union Jack, Snakes, Kelpie, Choir, and their fearless leader, Britannia. And when disaster strikes on their debut in the form of the invasion of Empire, the team has to immediately go to business and show the world what they're all about. This will be coming out in May. And so stay tuned for that. Empire is coming in with lots of really cool stuff for all of us. We're also going to Toy Fair this weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are going to play with all the toys. If you've never heard of Toy Fair, it is the largest toy trade show in the Western Hemisphere. And we get previews of tons of cool toys that some of them that are coming to shelves right now, some that are coming much later. Uh, We're going to be talking to some friends from the Consumer Products Division and from Hasbro and some toys real soon. But Hasbro is doing something cool. They have their Marvel Legends fan vote for 2020 coming up. It's happening really soon, starting February 22nd at 3 p.m. Eastern. Hasbro is going to be giving fans the opportunity to choose the next Marvel Legends figure. You're going to have to go to HasbroPulse.com, create an account, and cast your vote by February 28th at 9 p.m. The winner will be announced and made available for purchase by summer. Uh, But Lorraine, i got to ask you one thing. What? How are you going to buy all those toys? With a Marvel MasterCard. Oh, thank you to our sponsor this week, Marvel MasterCard. You can apply for a Marvel MasterCard from now until March 15th of 2020 and be entered for a chance to win a trip to Los Angeles to attend the premiere of Marvel Studios' Black Widow. No purchase or application necessary to enter the sweepstakes. You must be 18 or older for rules and to apply, visit MarvelMasterCard.com. Now remember that an application only gives you a chance to win. The sweepstakes will run until March 15th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. And if you are the lucky winner, the winner will get a trip for two to L.A. and to get those tickets to attend the premiere. Also, be sure to watch Marvel Studios Black Widow in theaters on May 1st, which is so soon. I'm so excited. Oh, my gosh. It's happening. It's all coming true. Uh, And, you know, we're going to have a new Black Widow comic book series very soon. But right now we have some brand new comics that hit stands this week. We talked about them on Marvel's Pull List, the podcast where we talk about all the new comics. And the four top picks for this week were. What were they? They were Wolverine, number one. Marvel's Voices, number one. We were just talking about that. Yeah. And Guardians of the Galaxy, number two. And Valkyrie, Jane Foster, number eight. Wolverine, number one, is bonkers. Oh, it's I so love, good. I love Benjamin Percy. He, If you loved Wolverine the Long Night, same dude, new comic, good times. Where can fans listen to Marvel's pull list? Subscribe to Marvel's pull list wherever you get your podcasts. And that includes Pandora and watch video versions on Marvel.com or nothing bad will happen to you other than not knowing and living in ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> Squeew. Yeah. <laughs> Lorraine. <laughs> With those sounds of joking and humor, I think it's time for our big talk, which is about some of our favorite Marvel humor slash parody comic books. Um, since we have a ha-ha comedy man on the show this week, we thought we'd look at some good time humor books. Yeah, Marvel isn't afraid to make fun of itself, its characters, or really anything or everything because we can. Yeah, I, and this is going back to like the first couple of years of the Marvel age in the 60s. Let's take a quick dive into the ha-ha zone, starting with some of the Welcome most notable. to the ha-ha zone. 
<laughs> Starting with some of the most notable funny books. Uh, we got to start with the OG, which is not brand Ech. Not brand Ech. Not brand Ech. <laughs> Uh, and on the cover of the first issue, it says, quote, the comic magazine for non-believers who hate comic magazines. And it's just, <laughs> it's bonkers. It's so silly and over the top. It's a late 60s, goofy and weird comic. And it's by Stanley, Jack Kirby, and pretty much everybody else who was working at Marvel at the time. You know, Murray Severin did a lot of stuff. John Severin was doing stuff in there. Anyone who was around was writing gags, and making some funny bits. I love the just the title, too, of Not Brand Ech. Is like, I don't know why I made that so gross in my mouth, but I did. <laughs> but because it's sort of like Brand X, you know, it's like off-brand, yeah. but it's also like a play on the X-Men and all those other things, which I think is just like really funny, fun wordplay, which is very prevalent in all of these books. Yeah. The second issue, like, they go straight in, full-on, like, goofing on Marvel and DC together. You have Peter Pooper, the aging Spidey Man, versus Natman and Rotten. Oh, boy. Knock Furious, agent of sheesh. Uh, and- <laughs> That's me. <laughs> oh, it's me. We had the Mighty Soar, Charlie America, the Inedible Hulk. They're just... Having a great time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there were only 13 issues, but all super crazy fun. Yeah. Um, speaking of super crazy fun, Crazy is a satire slash humor magazine. It was Marvel's answer to Mad Magazine from 1973 to around 83. Lots of celebrities and pop culture references. The original mascot was Irving Nebish, also called the Nebish, who was a short bug-eyed man in a hat and a cape created by the one and only Marv Wolfman. And it was replaced by Obnoxio the Clown in 1980, who is a nightmare person. Obnoxio just, is... He's so creepy to me. It's something so simple, too. He's just uh, like... He's a clown. He's a guy in a clown suit, but he's unshaven, and he smokes a cigar, and he just looks unpleasant. But that character was created by the great Larry Hama, uh, and that final issue ended with number 94 in 1983. That's so a huge ran, run. That's really, really great. Really long time. There is a recent collection for Crazy that just came out. So you can pick up the trade paperback. It reprints the recent Crazy one-shot that we did for Marvel's 80th anniversary, oh, yeah. along with select like best of Crazy moments from the, the classic 70s and 80s. So if you really want to dig into Crazy, you can pick up that collection. There's also a full collection of Not Brand Ech, which just came out within the last like six months or so. So these are fully available for you, as well as Spider-Ham. And you're thinking, wait, Spider-Ham is recent. That's from Spider-Man. It's the Spider-Verse. No, you're wrong. You're wrong, uh, you're person. Wrong. Spider-Ham is from 1983. And the thing about Spider-Ham was that he's a spider who is living in a house. Uh, and he's bitten by a pig. Or a radioactive pig, essentially. Or nuclear reactive pig. Yeah, Aunt May, who is like doing a, if I recall correctly, she's doing a science experiment in like her basement. And she gets, you know, radioactive. She goes a little bonkers. She bites the spider, who's just been like, oh, I'm watching this person. And then she adopts him. And he becomes part of the family. He's, you know, Peter Porker at that point. But can you imagine? Yes. <laughs> Whatever you're saying, yes. Can, can you imagine if Aunt May bit a spider in the human universe and then that spider turned into a person? Yep. Uh, this is Earth 8311 because remember, all this year we're talking about some alternate realities. And this is a very prominent one because uh, when this was created in 1983 by Larry Hama, Tom DeFalco, Mark Armstrong, it ended up was like a one shot. And then. 
really took off. People were like, this is really fun. He had Peter Porker, the Spectacular Spider-Ham series, which all the characters are just silly animal parodies of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, it's all it's a real animal house. Oh, boy. We've got Croak and Badger, Ant-Ant, Iron Mouse, <laughs> Croctor Strange. I do like Captain America. Uh, Captain America is so good. Um, I love that he wears, like, a cool zoot suit. <laughs> <laughs> his daytime child? Yep. His day look? Oh, yeah. Uh, he's, of course, appeared in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. There have been numerous Spider-Ham stories and appearances. He's shown up a number of places. Dan Slott famously brought him back into Spider-Verse a couple of years ago. And there is a current Spider-Ham series going right now. Yeah. But what if? What if? What if? What if? What if is a series? It's very hard to say. I mean, I think the pronunciation should be like, what if? Um, <laughs> but it is a comic series that is Ryan's favorite that basically explores what if certain things happened differently in the Marvel Universe. What if? What if? <laughs> There's two series, one in the 70s through 80s and one in the 90s. Yeah. Each it's volume. A, it's a joke buffet is yeah. what I would call it. Each volume has a specific issue that is their humor issue. That is issue number 34. I reached out to Ralph Macchio, editor emeritus. You know, he's 30 years at Marvel. I was like, if anybody's going to know why issue number 34 for both those series is the humor issue, it'll be Ralph. He says, I don't, he didn't know. He wasn't sure. It just happens to be the goofy issue. The first one from the like the night it was like 1980, early 80s, the from the first volume. Oh, yeah, from 1982. Yeah, that one um, has like the Watcher and a whole bunch of heroes on. He's like, don't buy this issue; it's terrible. And then the one from the 90s has the Watcher basically in the famous Marilyn Monroe skirt blow up skirt. from the subway era. Yeah, and it is tremendous. These are really so, so fun, these What If 34 issues, because almost every panel is a joke. Like most of them, it's almost like a setup that is, the formula is, what if this thing happened differently? Punchline. What if this thing happened differently? Punchline. Uh, Like one of my favorite, what if Punisher's family lived instead? And then it's just like a little cute Punisher family that's like, bing, bing. Yeah. There's, uh, I think the opening story in the 90s one is what if Thanos had turned Galactus into a human? And it's a sp- it spins oh, out yeah. <laughs> of the Infinity Gauntlet saga. And he turned, Thanos turns Galactus into a human, sends him to Earth, ends up like landing naked and he looks exactly like Elvis Presley. He walks into a woman's trailer park. She gives him her clothes and he like, she's like, he looks like Elvis. Maybe this is Elvis. And the story is basically, ends up being what if Galactus was El- Elvis reincarnated? It's, it's nuts. It's so I love it. crazy and so funny. Also, I just love from the 1982 issue, what if Captain Marvel lived? And then he's just flying and he's like, gosh, I feel great. <laughs> it's so silly. And I just love it. Yeah. Um, I also love that what if Aunt May were all of these heroes? And my favorites are like Golden Oldie if yeah. she were Iron Man or Antifreeze <laughs> if she were Iceman. It's so great. It's so good. Uh, the... Original one from the 1982, that is on Marvel Unlimited, along with a good chunk of that run of What If. The 90s issue is not on Marvel Unlimited. You'll have to go and seek it out until we uh, eventually, hopefully, fingers crossed, get to digitizing it. Ryan, you go put in a good word with the powers that be. You better believe it. And while I'm doing that, I'm also going to tell them they need to get What The in print. What The? What The is... Maybe my favorite comic book series of all time. It is Bananas 
nuts. It is 26 issues from 1988 to 1993, and it is essentially the 30 years later version of Not Brand Ech. It is very much that type of thing. It's parodies. It's a lot of Marvel and DC and other pop culture goofiness. You know, you had a lot of top creators working on it. John Byrne did a bunch of stories in the first bunch of issues. Steve Ditko is in like issue one or two with like seven pages. Mike Mignola, creator of Hellboy, has got a story in there. Kurt Busiek, tons more. Every issue you go and like, wait, this person did this? What's happening? It's really great. (laughs) They really like dove hard into the parody angle with lots of gags. Superb Man was a very like a character who kept showing up. Oh my god, I have to shout out from the What If series. One of my favorites is What If Wonder Man were a woman and Power Man were a woman. And then it, there's like a little note in the corner from the distinguished competition saying like we would really like you to leave this topic alone. <laughs> um, yeah. which is Chef's kiss. Very good. You know, even on the the Marvel side, they were parodying with Wolverina and the Pulverizer and like just goofy stuff. It was really, really fun. Uh, And they even brought in Spider-Ham and other classic Marvel like humor parody characters to add into some of the stories that hadn't been seen in quite a while. It's not been collected. It has not been digitized. If you want to check these books out, Go to your local comic shop, check the like the back bins. You know, you can find them on online in some places uh, where you buy comics. Go to a comic convention. This is one of the, my most favorite things has been over the last couple of years going to comic conventions with my list of the issues that I was missing from certain collections. Just go buy a random issue of what the you're going to have the best time. Oh, I love that. What a what a nice lesson wrapped up in a ha ha zone bow. Oh. <laughs> Well, we've had fun, but there are lots of comedians out there who love Marvel and comics and games and movies and all of that stuff, like our friend John Gabris. Yeah, John's great. He's a lifelong Marvel fan. In this interview, he and I will talk about how we got connected, uh, some of the similarities that we have, just like both of us growing up on Long Island, being about a year apart, having similarities in like sense of humor and different things, and and then how he got into comedy and UCB and you know improv and and all this other stuff. And he's great. I really like John. John Gabrus, how are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and it wasn't all just an undercover mission to get inside the Marvel offices, but you made it. <laughs> yes, I did. We've been trying to do this for a while. Well, yeah. I'm here now. Though. We did it. Yeah. Um, but I got to know, what is your Marvel origin story? Like, how did you first get exposed to Marvel? Was it a cartoon? Was it a comic book? Was it movie? What was it for you? For me, it's hard to remember what came first: me hanging out in local comic book shops or seeing the X-Men cartoon. Because I was a TV head uh, first and foremost, but I think I wanted to watch the X-Men cartoon because I was aware of the comics. Imagine this, comics cost a dollar and I still couldn't really afford them because I was a child without his own agency (laughs) or anything like that. But I was like playing Magic the Gathering and D&D with my friends and we would ride our bikes to the comic book shops to maybe buy a booster pack and then you would just like... Even though they were comics, we were still kids, so it was like, ugh, reading. <laughs> but when we like, you would like thumb through it as for as long you would thumb through as many as you could for as long as you could before the guy was like, hey, come on, dudes, <laughs> you sweaty kids have been in here in winter cut starter jackets and backpacks, sweating profusely and touching every comic. I'm like, okay, fair, fair, fair. And then eventually, I just I got into comics just like any 10, 11 year old boy in the uh, early 90s, and I powered through I would ask for him for every holiday I would 
there used to be two for one comics at the grocery stores that were like, you know, just grab bags. And that was like anything that was value was like I can convince my mom. I'd be like, it's five comics for a dollar. I don't even want to read any of them. <laughs> They're all garbage things that I don't that don't activate my interest at all. But I just want more comics. I just sure. want to look at art. I just want to collect it. And then I sort of phased out through high school and college, sort of didn't have any money and all that money was going towards beer and uh, shenanigans. But then my first job as a PA in New York City, I was working at VH1 and another PA there was like, oh, it's new comic book day. I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, I go to this place called Midtown Comics. It's huge and they have all these comics. We work right around the block from it. You should come with me. I'm like, oh, I used to read comics all the time. I went once. I was like, oh, I'll pick up a Claremont X-Men trade. I used to read these. Oh, that's so cool. And then I uh, went back with him the next week. And then next thing I know, I was making maybe like $295 a week after taxes <laughs> and spending $95 a week at Midtown Comics. Wow. Yeah, we got I, you in deep. Oh, uh, I went hard. Well done. I was buying every week for like five years. And now I just wait for trade recommendations and buy graphic novels and trades yeah. by the chunk. That's my thing now. And then, of course, the X-Men cartoon was huge and ubiquitous in my life. Like, I don't remember watching many other things besides that from early on. I mean, my, we were all obsessed with it. We had, I wanted to be Gambit and I was in love with Rogue. So that course. was going to be my question. Who was the character you like connected with? Because some people it was Gruff Wolverine. Some people it was, you know, the tragedy of Morph. Some people it's Jubilee. I hear a lot of Jubilee because she was the young POV character. Yeah. Some like Storm. Some, you know, no one likes Cyclops. Right. Because uh, Cyclops is like dad. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's worse than dad. Uh, but for you, it was Remy. Yeah. For me, it was, uh, uh, Gambit. I think I was Beast, but wanted to be Gambit. You know what I mean? Like I was a big, burly sort of uh, smart kid, uh, but I wanted to be Gambit so bad. Even the kinetic energy power is just one of the most, especially in early Marvel days, like my early Marvel days, I shouldn't say early in the grand scheme of the brand, but early for me, it's like all the other powers were like flying, strong beams. Like it was his was so specific. And then it was like that kind of idea that anything can become a weapon. I remember thinking like, oh, I would love to write comics for the people who have those powers that are sort of up for interpretation. Like I remember when I first read a long shot comic, I'm like, his power is that like he's just lucky. And I'm like, ooh. My nerdy brain with long shot is always what happens when Longshot hangs out with Black Cat and Domino because they all have these like luck powers? And is it just like, what happens? And like, I don't know that we've ever done a full story. About Let's that. write a Marvel team up where they go to Vegas <laughs> and take down the house. Like uh, they do like an Ocean's Eleven type thing and win a fortune. <laughs> you're going to go talk to, to I'm going to go pitch this to Jordan. Just bring it up. Get it going. Make this happen. I'm like, gents, I have an idea. <laughs> just barge in. You guys. Uh, we're going to come back to Marvel a little bit, but I wanted to start talking about some of the other stuff that you're doing. But I think the first time I knew who you were, I started to like recognize you was probably from Comedy Bang Bang because, you know, your intern Gino on there. And I don't know if it was on Comedy Bang Bang or on your show High and Mighty where you started talking about the movie life, which is a Long Island hardcore band. And I was like, wait a minute. I grew up on Long Island as well. Like, there's... Hell you yeah, to bro. Slice it. Uh, he is currently flexing hardcore, showing off his Long Island tattoo. Bro, I don't think you remember Nassau being this big, dude. <laughs> but, 
it, it's one of those things that flags in my head is like, wait, who is this person that got out of Long Island and has done really <laughs> cool stuff and it has similar interests? How were you a, a like a punk hardcore kid or is just like the movie life just was one of those? Uh, my friends were all punk, uh, ska and hardcore kids. Uh-huh. Some uh, rotating Venn diagram of those three. I sort of rejected that because I didn't like ska. And then also my friends got so into it that I rejected it and became sort of like a big beat kid. Like So this is like 94, 95 and I'm like into Chemical Brothers, Fat Boy Slim and DJ Shadow. How big were your jinkos? <laughs> I, I was the oldest boy, so I couldn't jump on any trends my parents just immediately were like no that's dumb and i'm like no but it's different because i'm 25 years younger than you and like school is hard for me so if you let me have jeans i think school would be easier for me and they were like you don't need no jeans it's like all right forget it but then my youngest brother comes along and he gets like whatever fad he needs along the way like when you started talking about going to the comic book shop and sweaty kids and starter jackets like that painted such a Long Island picture for me oh, as hell well. Yeah. Shout but, out to Comic Book Depot on Jerusalem and uh, Collectors Comics on Sunrise or Merrick Road. Okay. Those were the two within bike range and that's where I spent all my time talking to what I thought were the coolest older kids in the world and now that I'm that I'm like oh <laughs> man if I looked up to this 19 year old kid just because he had his own income. <laughs> Remember when you're a kid you're just like this dude can buy whatever he wants Anything. That must be the coolest dude in the world. And you're like, wait a minute. Is he buying magic booster packs at 20 years old? Maybe it's not the coolest thing in the world. Hey, but maybe they're worth a lot of money right now. Oh, I wish I didn't throw out all my... You're wearing a Dungeons & Dragons t-shirt. That's so, correct. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. It's yeah, good. I'm still here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love talking to people in their favorite... They're like comic shops when they grew up. Mine was called Gotham Manor, which was in Floral Park. And you walk in, the lighting was perfect. It was like slightly dark. The top of the entire store was done like a cityscape and it was like lit really well with gargoyles and and little statues and stuff like that the back issue bins were in dumpsters like you pull out a dumpster like you're in a city they had arcade machines and like it was so cool i uh i would eventually tour the country tour colleges with ucb torco and uh upright census brigade does like a little touring group that goes around to different colleges and does improv shows and then the thing i would do in every college town was go to the thrift store or the salvation army and then go to the comic book shop and then go to whatever bar had the weirdest college deals you know like (laughs) but i'm 20 except i'm 25 and i'm like (laughs) buying comics in upstate new york and then go into a place that's $5 pictures. And I'm like, this place is a dream. <laughs> so I got to see a lot of comic book shops all around yeah. the country too. And I still seek that out. When I, I lived in Montana for a month for a gig with Justin Tyler, another big uh, host of the Comic Book Club podcast, Big Comic Head, him and I went to uh, this comic shop in Montana like every week. And they were like, you guys want to set up a pull list? We're like, we leave. And t- they're like, you're spending like $100 each week. I'm like, we're here. We got per diem. Oh, man, the per diem is dangerous. We were sharing a house, too. Like, they put us up in a house. And we, like, bought, like, figurines to decorate that. We're like, well, we'll put these up in the place. It's like we're living there for, like, 20 days total. Amazing. Uh, that's living a life. Uh, talk about UCB. How would you get started with Upright Citizens Brigade and improv in general. I was doing improv in college, like doing short form style improv. Really good stuff, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, dude. You know, this is early 2000s at a Catholic college that's mostly white, cis, straight men and women. And I was just... I mean, I was a king of a tiny kingdom. I was like the funniest kid on campus, but it was a small school. (laughs) And I was one of the few people actively pursuing comedy. It was like a real training ground for like stage confidence. Well, here's the here's the weird thing. I was a comedy nerd. So I was watching all types of comedy. And I was also a DV like 
just like being a Magic the Gathering uh, or Star Wars customizable card game or comic books, I'm a collector. So when I got to DVDs, when that came out in early 2000, I got my first DVD player for my 18th birthday, and I just kept buying DVDs. And I was a comedy head, so I would buy all these different, you know, I had like every episode, I had the Flying Circus box set, I had this box set, I had this box set, and I had the Upright System Grade box set because I really liked their sketches. And I would just watch it and think it was so funny and thought these people were so funny. Then one day I'm home for the summer and me and some of my friends are like, we should take the train into the city. And if you're from Long Island, you know, like, you almost never do that, <laughs> despite being 30 minutes away from a city that people fly from, you know, all over the world to go to. You can grow up 30 minutes from it. You're like, ah, it's expensive. So it's much. crowded. Yeah. I got to go to Penn Station. We have pizza here. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> but we went and we were just wandering around. We were like, we're going to go to a cool thrift store and then the Knicks game. So we just like wandered all the way around. And I just walked past the giant 3D glasses back when they were on like 22nd Street or something. And I was like, Upright Sister Brigade, I love that. And my friend, I'm like, you know that show I always talk about? It looks like they have like a theater. So I went back and dogpiled, not Googled, but used the <laughs> search engine <What>? dogpile, <laughs> which was Yahoo, Alta Vista, Ask Jeeves, and one, it, it split the screen in fours. And by typing it into dogpile, it actually searched four different search engines. Who no are idea you? why that mattered, but this is like all I, I like, it was the one I used in like 2000. Sure. Searched Upright Citizens Brigade, found their like super early website, clicked on it, and then found out that they taught comedy classes. I didn't fully even know about long form improv or any of that. Now it's like an accredited university with like two schools or whatever but back then it was like the description was like you'll learn improv basics jungle combat hand-to-hand warfare like it was like a gag write-up and yeah. i was like this is i don't know what this means and, and it was 250 dollars i think at the time and i signed up for level one for that's i came home that summer in between junior and senior it took level one and the second i was in level one i was pretty funny and i saw a lot of people struggling with how it worked and i don't know what was wrong or right with me but I was able to just like lock into how improv worked kind of early despite it being sort of different than what I was doing before but because I was sort of cocky and arrogant and 20 years old I didn't have any stage fright or like wishy-washy thoughts to get over I just kind of came out and in level one the teachers sort of promote like just get up and just do and that's just right in my wheelhouse and I just like gathered steam and then when I graduated school, I was like, I'm getting a job in the city, and I'm going to just take UCB classes and go to UCB shows. I'm going to move to the city. And then that was 2000 and, that was 2003 I took my first class. 2004, I got put on a Harold team, like late 2004 or 05, one of those two. And so uh, 15 years later, I'm still doing it, and I've made <laughs> almost $10,000. <000. laughs> I'm probably one of the highest paid <laughs> because I also did uh, Wild and Out and UCB Torco. I've actually made about as much money as you can off improv in life. <laughs> Congratulations on that. Maybe Comedy Bang Bang superstars make, uh, you know, like the guys who, t like Lapkus and PFT touring. Sure. That's probably the highest paid improv you can do right now. Yeah. But it's, it, it, with the advent of podcasting, has made it so much more fun and accessible to so many people. But you started in New York City and UCB is now coast to coast. Is there a difference in improv style or, or audience or is there any difference between, you know, L.A. and New York for UCB? My main issue is that I moved to L.A. seven years ago. The thing, it's hard to garner what the real difference is between New York and L.A. because about six or seven years ago, there was sort of a sea change in like what you know, we were doing with comedy. We were starting to be a little more alert to, like, other people. Like, I guess you could say comedy got slightly more empathetic. Like, we started being like, that actually hurts, like, a chunk of the audience's feelings. You're like, oh, really? <laughs> I was not aware. Whoops, you know? So that kind of happened. And I always found that the L.A. audience was a little 
dumber. Not dumber like I could quantify their intelligence, but they would not fully understand the motives behind stuff you were doing. Like in New York, you can like kind of go edgy or like bring them along for a ride of something, at least back in the day. And then when you would try to do that in LA, like I, I distinctly remember Anthony Atamanik from The President Show and a buddy of mine. We were doing a show in LA. We were doing ASCAD or RuRu. And 9-11 came up and the crowd was like, oh, and we all looked at each other and were like, wait, this never even played this bad in New York. Like, and so we had to stop. We were like, guys, you know, New York audiences don't get this offended about 9-11. And it affected us. We were all living in New York when this happened. Relax, relax. And it was just that moment. That's when I realized the sort of differences between the crowds. But again, that could also be a, you know, to the time period. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We mentioned podcasts. You've been across a number of podcasts. Let's talk about High and Mighty is one of your, I don't know if you say your main show. I would say that's my main show. My accountant would say I have other shows that are like my, (laughs) based on that. But this podcasting was a thing that was new to me. I guess seven years ago, I moved to LA. Before I moved, I was listening to Marin and Comedy Bang Bang and This American Life. I didn't know about multiple podcasts. So when I came out to LA, podcasts sort of become more of a thing because you can listen to it while you drive and you can't read on the subway. So you're like, can't read comics while you drive, unfortunately. Not yet. (laughs) We're figuring it out. (laughs) Uh, The thing about a self-driving car, everyone's like, I would never. I'm like, if you tell me I could sit in the back of my own car and read comics and watch movies kill me I don't care kill me Google car Um, so when I moved to LA I started doing comedy bang bang and and guesting on some other podcasts like improv for humans and podcasting for me scratched the same itch or activated the same part of my brain that early UCB stuff opened up for me where it was sort of like oh cool I was doing ASCAT but I was also doing the Wednesday night at 11 free show with a random friend who's like we should do two person improv or like let's write a sketch and throw it up and there was sort of like a uh impermanence it's like a temporariness to it all so like that felt exciting and then podcasts sort of had the same thing too where it's like yeah we do two hours of improv scenes and if 40 percent of it are hits it counts as like a good episode and then you start to realize like oh this is a lot like doing all these improv shows that i was doing growing up uh, growing up in my uh 20s but they're permanent and they're out there. So there was something about reaching a larger market. And so I kept guesting on these podcasts, never wanting to do my own podcast because I'm like sort of lazy and also didn't want to like lock myself into some conceit. But at the time, my friend Jeff Rubin had a podcast and uh, the Joe Rogan podcast was kind of big. And they were sort of podcasts that were like, I talk about whatever I want to talk about with whoever I want to talk about. And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting genre. So my friends, Jake and Amir, College Humor, If I Were You podcast, launched a podcast network, reached out to me. They were like, you're one of our funniest friends that doesn't have a podcast. And I was like, yeah, weird. And they were like, would you want to do one? I'm like, you know, I'd signed up for Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. And people were tweeting at me like, you should do a podcast. You should do a podcast. And I was like, why not? And that was four years ago, five years ago. And I've just been nonstop doing high high and mighty every Thursday. I've gone like 260 weeks of like unbroken uh, podcast. And that has been such a blast. And then along the way, the people I meet doing podcasts, I'm very good at being a podcast guest because it's. It's talking, it's having opinions, it's being clear, it's listening. These are all things that I both have organically and from a decade and a half of improv training just honed. So going around, and now for me, it's the most exciting thing is like, especially in LA, it's like, do you want to do my podcast? I'm like, I don't know anything about this podcast. The premise seems weird. I got to go to your weird apartment in your weird neighborhood. And I'm, a f- I'm all for it. I never got to date. 
because uh, my wife and I met in college, so I never sat across from a girl and was like, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen here tonight. Or I was never nervous going to a restaurant being like, which one is she or whatever. I, I knew what you were like, so I didn't write questions. I wrote just real simple bullets of a thing I wanted to talk about, knowing that this would be super easy. Yeah. And I, because we have such sim- – there's similarities. Like, right. The, the fun of it all comes through in when you get excited, you talk about things like you've had episodes on comics, you have episodes on tabletop games, on, on video games, on yeah. like the things that you're excited about, which I think is fun because you can get into someone's larger, you know, cultural knowledge and excitement through that one touch point. Uh, you also have Action Boys. Action uh, Boys. Which is a lot of fun. Explain what Action Boys is. So I launched that off of High and Mighty. That's my buddies Ben Rogers and Ryan Stanger. One day at Birds, the bar next to UCBLA, we stood up and talked for one hour about the movie Predator. The back at the bar, the back half of that hour being specifically about the making of featurette of Predator that's on YouTube called If It Bleeds, which coincidentally, the three of us had all watched multiple times. So at that moment, we started to realize like, that we had a very similar upbringing childhood movie-wise. Like, so Action Boys is just that. It's us reliving all the movies from our childhood. So we do classic action movies from like the 70s through the late 80s, mid-90s. And we talk for, about that movie for longer than the movie themselves. Yep, longer than the movie. <laughs> almost, ex- <laughs> almost always do we beat the runtime of the movie. Yes. So if, like, if you don't think... We can talk about Beastmaster for two and a half hours. Oh, we can. And not to mention that, but Beastmaster references come up on pretty much every other episode of the podcast. <laughs> it's a very complicated world we've wove. But that's the highlight of my week is that I have my two, two of my buddies come over and we just talk about action movies. And now, since that's a Patreon, actionboys.biz uh, with a Z, we're making a little bit of money off of it. And I never thought that was possible. And now I care so much less about anything in Hollywood now that I know I could like at least sort of eat or at least uh, pay my car bill just by talking about action movies. Have you ever done the Punisher 89? No, the Dolph Lundgren Punisher. No, no. So it was celebrating an anniversary last year. I went, I brought Matt Rosenberg, who was the writer of the Punisher comics at the time. We went, we we talked about it a little bit beforehand and both going into it were like, I don't remember if this is any good. I don't think this is going to be good. We both came out of it going, that was amazing. That was Oh, so much fun. We got to add that. You got to add that. It's so good. And then I will say, if you ever go forward into like more modern action movies, like once you've somehow extinguished the entirety <laughs> of the older ones, Punisher Warzone. Wait. Okay. So I'm glad you brought this okay, up. Okay, good. Because Punisher Warzone is one of my favorite One of the greatest movies of all time. Yes, without question. Hands down, I did a show at UCB, and I just showed the clip of when Ray Stevenson drops into that party, snaps the old lady's neck, shoots upside down, kicks the chair into the chair leg, goes into the eye, punches the guy in the face where his hand... I I can watch that frame by frame because I love... The second his fist gets to his nose, the face cuts to like a big (laughs) dummy head, and it just looks so good. That movie... Rules. Yes. I, I pitch. I pitch that all the time because we sometimes do like a modern March special. Like yeah. in March, we'll do a new one, new newish movie to just kind of make the listeners shut up because we keep being like, no, no, no. Trust me, you're gonna like this '70s movie called Runaway Train. You know, like, <laughs> and they're like, no, we want to see this. We want to see that. So uh, Punisher. Oh God. I, and because I'm also, I love Ray Stevenson. I yeah. think he's such a good actor, and he's a great casting for the Punisher. My favorite little bit of like tidbit is we had a children's show called. Marvel Superhero Squad show in like the mid 2000s and Ray plays the Punisher on this children's show in one episode and it is that's awesome perfect 
But if you ever do it, let us know. I want to make sure we let people know about it. Uh, you've also recently had the Gino Lombardo show. Gino Lombardo, the character from Comedy Bang Bang. Yeah. Which is just delightful. Yeah, so the Gino Lombardo show, I think, it's behind the paywall on Stitcher Premium. I, I'm hoping that eventually it'll come out for free. But I think it's one of the better comedy things I've done in the last few years. It's sort of just like uncut, pure Gino Lombardo. And there's just so much going on in the show. I have great guest stars. I build I build the whole little world with callbacks and connections and runners throughout these 10 episodes. And it was the most fun I've had working on a project. And sort of probably right now the most unfiltered version of my sense of humor because it's just like disgusting, weirdly violent all over the yeah, place. Yeah, Gino's an extreme version like in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, Gino is sort of like my my completely like governor off. The thing about Gino is I try to talk and react as fast as possible. So sometimes that leads to not the smartest choices, <laughs> but I'm just making as big and as strong and as fast of choices as I can. Fantastic. What uh, are the other things that we're doing on the show this year is talking about alternate universes. You grew up in the same time period as me reading comics. Did you read any of the What If comics? I used to we love What If comics. Yeah. The one where uh, Hulk is holding Wolverine's skeleton. Uh, issue number 50, What If uh, the Hulk Killed Wolverine? Yeah. A classic set during the Dallas event where, uh, yeah, I did really We, we were obsessed with that when we were kids because it was it opened your eyes to like, but he's got healing factor and unbroken bones. He's like, no, he pulled his bones out of his body. What can he do besides, I guess, slowly regenerate skin, I guess, but over an empty hollow skeleton? Yeah. He's got to rebuild from scratch. And that was just the coolest possible thing. I think What If should be like Disney Plus series. Coming to Disney Plus very soon. It's an animated series. Jeffrey Wright is voicing The Watcher. It has got the cast from most of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it is going to be incredible. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Great. Well, I, I won't pitch that one when I run to the editor. <laughs> I'm going to be just pitching our Oceans 3 with Domino uh, and a long shot. Yeah. Uh, perfect. John, thanks so much for being here. Dude, thanks for having me. This is so fun. Yeah. Uh, you guys check out John Gabris on like all the things. It's just Gabris. I'm at Gabris on all the platforms. Hit me up there. Uh, you know, and, and if you like action movies, jump on Action Boys uh, podcast. Actionboys.biz. All right, big thanks again to John Gabris. You can follow him on all the social pages as Gabris, and he's got lots of things that he does. And he's so great at hugs. Yeah, he is. Uh, now, we're about to get into our community section, but first things first, question of the week. Lorraine, what you got? My question to you, fair listener, is what teenage magical character is your favorite? We're going to be talking about Strange Academy coming up in the next couple of weeks, and we're talking about some magical teens. So who's your favorite magical teen? All right, let's see what y'all said on the community side. Michael Piraguidi at Kiwi Can't Dance asks, maybe a dumb question, he says. No dumb questions here, Michael. He says, who does the numbering of the different universes? Is it someone from Earth 616, an organization? Is it omniscient, narrator, and the characters don't know the numbering? That's a really, actually a really cool question. It's usually folks from Earth 1218. Which is our Earth. <laughs> uh, and it's a couple people on our side. So to answer your question about sort of the in-story answer, we have to think about it from our side first. Sometimes it's the writer of the book. Sometimes it's an editor of a book. Sometimes it's the folks working on our handbooks. Uh, it's a number of people on our side. And then from there, that can sometimes determine how the characters know about things. Like if it's a story-based thing, like with Ghost Spider and the Spider-Verse storyline, the numbering of Earths is important to those characters. 
I don't know in story who numbers them. It's probably... Probably Reed Richards, that doink. No, because two things, right? You have one side is the the spider totem side of things sure. where the web of life and destiny and you, they look at all those earths. But on the other side... But also, like, Gwen has that watch. So what's she dialing? That's right. So what, how yeah, does her watch know? I don't know. Maybe it's a like a universal, multiversal frequency. Ooh. Ooh I like that. Uh, and then on the other side, you have Saturnine and sort of the, the crux of the multiverse. My guess would be that's where the numbering stems from. Like they're numbering the universe of Saturnine and Merlin and, and sort of that contingent. But I don't think most anyone knows like I'm on Earth so-and-so. It just happens to be a thing that it is. Hope that makes sense. All right. This one from Lance Presley at GL. Presley said, okay, I demand more Captain Barracuda. So Captain Barracuda just showed up recently with a small appearance, I believe, in some of the 2020 stuff, the Iron Man stuff. That We got very confused. I thought it was someone we had made up. But no, Captain Barracuda is like an old school character who was recently brought back by Christos and Dan Slott. At A. Karis Pollard, who she tweets, the undisputed birthday this week at Marvel goes to Hawkeye Freefall. She says that Matthew Rosenberg and Otto Schmidt uh, make Clint so much fun. The humor is pitch perfect, which is perfect for this episode because we're in the ha-ha zone. Yeah. She says, but you don't lose the sense of something darker and the art captures that just as well as the zany moments. This episode of This Week in Marvel was produced by Perturbed Percy of Berlin, Zachary the Golden Boy Goldberg, Ryan Panagos, and Lorraine Zink. <laughs> our audio development manager is beaming Brad Barton. Joyous Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. Special thanks to Peter Porker's Vegetarian Buns. Peter Porker's Vegetarian Buns because pork butt. And don't forget to come see us at C2E2. Come hang out with us and say hello if you're there in the audience. We love to meet you guys. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe.